0: The faith has been delivered once and for all, which means that if any person tells you that they are receiving things from God that you cannot find in the Scripture, they are incorrect. And I'm not saying run away screaming, but (laughs) you have to be careful. Because a person who tells you, I know things that you don't know, and you can't even find them in the Bible, you got to come to me. What is that person doing? They're setting themselves up as a prophet that you have to go to instead of God. And what does God say about this? He says this is false prophecy, and it is a wicked evil in his presence. So, faith has been delivered once and for all. That is the faith you and I are contending for. Let's go to our apologetics verse, 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So if you claim Christianity, if you claim that I'm a follower of Jesus, I serve Him, I follow Him, I want to honor and glorify Him, then you should be able, according to this text, give a witness, give a defense for why you're following Jesus. So I'm going to pose a question to you, and don't answer out loud. I just want you to answer in your mind, and your heart, if a person came up to you on the street or at work or at home and asked you, why are you a Christian, you should have a better response prepared than, um, or I don't know, or even worse, because everyone around me was. Your response should be along the lines of, I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I'm a Christian. He saved me from my sins. I repented and was given forgiveness. That's why I am a Christian, because Christ has redeemed me and saved me. I'm a follower of his. So we do this with gentleness and respect. It's hard sometimes, especially because there are people who think, Religious people are dumb, or they're sheep or something else. Not sheep in the sense we uh, have a shepherd, but sheep that were dumb. And so they like to pick on us or act condescendingly, and it can be difficult sometimes to deal with that type of person. However, Peter is telling you to do this with gentleness and respect. We are not to be tearing heads off of, of people in conversations, okay? We're not to be trying to, trying to whip them verbally or trying to win the argument or whatever it is. We want to give a witness of Christ, Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered or lied about, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. People are going to lie about you. They're going to say horrible things about you. They really are. And the more you're elevated in Christ, the more you are a target for these attacks. Right? You ever wondered why sometimes I was doing so good, I was serving God, I was growing in my faith, I'm, 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 I'm becoming more like Christ, and then that's when the trouble seems to come? That's when the hurt and pain seems to come, when I'm, when I'm sort of coming off the mountaintop? Because you're a target. Remember, the devil roams the earth like a roaring lion, trying to devour, trying to, to destroy. And who's he trying to destroy? Not his. God's. And you're a target. When they slander us, when they revile us, our good behavior, demonstrating Christ will put their actions to shame. They'll be found out as the evil one. They'll be found out as the one who is wrong. And it may take a long time. Some people in the Bible waited years, decades, to find out. King David, writing in the Psalms, he says, I flooded my my, my bedroom with tears because of the sorrow of my enemies. But I know my God will prevail. And I will prevail because I serve my God. And you will prevail as well. Verse 17, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than to do evil. It is better to suffer. That's not American language. That's not a prosperity language. That's not what the false prophets will tell you. They'll tell you if you're suffering is because you didn't trust God enough. But the scripture just said it is better to suffer and do what is right than do evil. Better to suffer. Defending the faith must be done with the same humbleness, love, and respect, and care as Jesus had for those who didn't believe. Contending for the faith is showing the love of God to the world, either for them to be changed by it or condemned by it. Because they saw God, they saw the message, they heard the gospel, and they rejected. And so doing, they condemn themselves. They reveal what they really are. It is also an important uh, point to note that faith has been delivered. I talked about that earlier. There's no more Scripture coming. There's no more revelation coming. You may see something in the Bible you never saw before, but that doesn't mean it wasn't always there. And it's a a bad way to approach the Bible, right? I'm going to find something in here that no one, no one has ever seen before me. Yeah, it's not really going to happen. Any number of good commentaries will tell you that. Instead, we approach the Bible as the very bread of life that has been given to us by God, It is a delicious meal served to us every day. It has been delivered once and for all. So there's no more coming, which is a great thing because God has given us everything we need. He's not left anything out. Beware of those who try to tell you that God is revealing secret things to them. This person is not of God. If you cannot find it in God's word, you will not find it in God. Let's go on. Jude talks about ungodly people. Verse 4 of Jude For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master Jesus Christ. So they they come in, they're ungodly, and what is the proof of their ungodliness? Because they are perverting His grace into sensuality, into something ungodly. Ungodly people are those who do not believe. Why are they even there? They're there to disrupt. They're there to cause trouble. They're there to enjoy calamity of their own making. The enemies of God are the ones who seek to destroy the ministry of God and disrupt God's will. This is their attempt. Now, God in heaven, can His will be disrupted? Is Satan able to sway the mind of God or the plans or actions of God? Who is he able to sway? God's people. He is able to trick them. He is able to hurt them. He's able to touch them as he touched Job and brought great pain to Job's life. He's able to trick them as he did in the garden. And he's roaming even now to see who he can devour. We have to avoid this. We have to mark ungodly people. And we have to remember how we're supposed to deal with them. Because too often we act on extremes. We either go, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to love them no matter what, and I'm going to accept them into my church and into my fellowship no matter what they do or act or say. And this is not right. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So there are conditions to coming in to follow Christ. Jesus himself has laid them out. But we we swing too far the other way. We, we, we go, you know what? That ungodly person, they're so evil and wicked and sinful. There's no way they could ever be saved. I'm not going to even witness to them. I'm just going to go on the other way. Who ignored the person in need to go the other way? The Pharisees and the parable of the Good Samaritan, leaving that poor man. So we're not supposed to do either extreme. We're supposed to do just what Jesus did. He went and ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. But rather than engage in their sin or approve it, he called them out of sin to follow him through repentance and belief. Do you see the balance? And Jesus, being God, walked that tightrope perfectly, never falling off to one side or the other. And that's all we do, because we're not balanced like that. we got flesh pulling us one side or the other. But Jesus, being perfect, walks that line, never misstepping, never making mistake. Remember Zacchaeus? I'm going to dine at your house tonight. And by the end of it, you're going to give back everything you stole fourfold. That's what Jesus does. He'll walk next to the sinner, but the sinner won't stay in that state. They'll either be changed or they'll flee away from him. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'm just going to read a note from uh, Edward C. Uh, This guy's literal name is Pentecost, which is funny. (laughs) It may seem strange that ungodly people would seek to join the church, but many do for reasons apart from seeking to know God. There are two uh, characteristics that identify these godliness, uh, uh, godless apostates, perverting God's grace and rejecting God's Son. Perverting God's grace, changing His grace, saying that it's, it's something else. You have to buy it. You have to earn it. Changing the gospel message, trying to tweak the words of Jesus so they have no power. And the other thing they do is they deny Christ. Why is it always denying Christ? Did you know that most people are fine with God in heaven and all the religions of the world having God in heaven, and they're all kind of fine to coexist Well, when you mention Christ, he's a dividing line that causes anger and division and struggle. Why? Because Christ is the one who is calling to repentance. He's saying, you're sinful on your own and you must change. You must be like me. You're not good enough. But I am. And I was sent by the Father. You have to change. You have to conform. You have to be like me and conformed into my image. And people don't want to do that. We're kind of fine with God. I was talking to a brother last Wednesday night. If we came out and told the American culture, and I worry about this, that, you know, we've had it wrong all these years. There's no hell. We messed up. Bad translation, bad teaching, whatever. There's no hell. If you don't want to go to heaven, God, he's just going to let you die. Live your life however you want. Most people would take that deal. I'm not going to go to eternal judgment and fire? Okay, yeah, cool. I'm afraid a lot of Christians, Christians in church, would take that deal. Because if if you're just afraid of hell, that's not the gospel. The gospel is repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Why do true Christians want to go to heaven? Is it the streets of gold? Do you think God's going to give you a pickaxe and let you take some? Where are you going to spend it? What are you going to do with it? True believers want to go to heaven because that's where God is and they want to be in His presence, and they want to worship Him and glorify Him. Second Thessalonians 2.9, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. This is the outcome of all who reject Christ. They're in the power of Satan, they're in His grip, and He's dragging them down with Him. The denial of truth is the, the, the denial, excuse me, that the reality of God's existence, He is both creator and He is both shaper of our futures. And this is why the flesh denies that. The flesh doesn't want God in control. Because think about what God does. He causes to holiness, and often in causing holiness, He takes away the very thing the flesh loves. You know what the major sin is in our area? You want to know what it is? I can tell you. Everybody commits it. You may have committed it today. It's not drug use, even though that's a big problem around these parts. It's not alcoholism. Gossip. Gossip is the sin. And it's so easy for the flesh to catch us in this one. You want to know why? Because you'll, your flesh will even trick you. Oh, yeah, tell me what's going on. I'll pray for them. But the truth is, the flesh just wants to know the story just wants to hear. It's rampant. And why is it rampant? Because it's much easier for the flesh to tear down someone than to encourage them and build them up as Jesus said. Can you imagine if Jesus acted that way? Can you imagine him talking to Peter? Did you hear about John? He said, he's a son of thunder and you're not. Jesus comes across the disciples and they're arguing about who's the greatest. I mean, think about that. That's, that's really dumb. Like, no, I'm better than you are. I'm better than you are. And he comes up and he goes, no, nah, guys, you've missed it. And I'm going to paraphrase here, a big chunk of Scripture. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be the least. The denial of truth is the denial that Jesus Christ is Lord. But let's go on. The very end of Jude, verse 4 there, it says those who deny are Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So why is denial of Jesus The most horrific thing in this verse, why is it the final thing Jude says? Denial of Jesus is denial of God, and denial of God is unbelief. It is the very opposite of worship, and therefore is the worst thing you and I can do. Rejection of God's existence, the descent into atheism, is the very opposite of what God is ascending His his people to do, worship Him. These two aspects that Jude condemns is the perversion of his gospel and the denial that Jesus is Lord. And that is the thing you always hear. Someone trying to tear down the Christian message is tearing down Christ. Because if they can tear down Christ, they can tear down the cross and the tomb and the empty grave and the resurrection. But he's not going to be torn down. Jesus is never going to be destroyed. His message is never going to be squandered or squashed or stopped. Go to 1 John Chapter 2, verse 22. Seeing here about the Antichrist, this isn't a reference to the Antichrist. This is a reference to what is Antichrist. Verse uh, 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Now, that phrase, is the Christ, why does it say that? I thought Christ was Jesus' last name, right? No, it's not. No, it has meaning. Christ means anointed one, the favored one, the unique and special one. And it's the same word from Hebrew there where we get Messiah. So he's Jesus, the anointed. And they deny that Jesus is the anointed. And there are many who deny that. There have been false uh, Jesuses that come up. I even met one one time when I was a kid. At a previous church, a guy came up and told my father and the other pastor that he was Jesus, and he had long brown hair. I thought it was him for a second. I was like seven. <laughs> he told him he was Jesus, and they asked him where he came from, and I'm pretty sure I remember this right. He'd just been let out of the county jail, started walking at the time north, and, that, and he hit Bronson Road Church. <laughs> I'm Jesus. <laughs> there's been many, and there's going to be many false Christ that come up Who is the liar that denies Jesus Christ? This is Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. No one. You cannot deny the Son and claim you're still in the Christian faith. You cannot deny the work of Christ and still say that you're going to heaven and you're saved. Because the two are so tied together that to deny one is to lose the other. You cannot deny Christ and still expect to Receive the benefits of Christ. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. But the flesh doesn't want to do this. The flesh wants to deny. It wants to claim its own life path. It wants to stake out its own journey. It doesn't want to listen to the words of God. It doesn't want the faith once delivered for all. It wants to do its own desires. But the desires of your flesh are death. They are murder and hatred, and they lead only to the grave. We must restrict these desires. That's what Paul's letters are so often about, the restriction of the flesh and the encouragement and conformity of Christ. Go to Matthew 10. That's going to be our last Bible verse for tonight. Matthew 10, 32. This is Jesus talking. This is so important. Hear this if you've heard nothing else. This directly affects every single one of us in this room. Matthew 10, 32, so everyone, that's why it affects all of us, everyone who acknowledges me, this is Jesus talking, before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Do you understand what Jesus just said? That if you acknowledge me on earth, if you claim me on earth, if you, if you demonstrate your, 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 your allegiance to me, then I'm going to allow you in heaven to stand with me and I'm going to bring you to the Father. What's the exact scripture say? I will acknowledge before my Father, God who is in heaven, you. You. He's going to acknowledge you. He's going to say, Father. This is so-and-so saint who was a sinner but now has been redeemed. They acknowledge me on earth and now I acknowledge them in heaven. God's going to say, well done. But Jesus goes on. He warns in verse 33, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Which means it doesn't matter how much church you went to. It doesn't matter how many good deeds that you did or how many service opportunities you took advantage of. If you deny Christ with your life, and your words and in your heart, He denies you. On Judgment Day. What a horrible, shameful thing to have even lived in church, but stand before God and have Jesus shake his head. They denied me. They didn't listen. They rejected, and I reject them. And the Father will say, Depart. This is your warning tonight. If you fear that this could be you, I encourage you now to turn to this Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledge the reality of His existence and His work in the saving of your soul. Turning away from Jesus and denying that He is Lord makes you an antichrist. That's why 1 John can also say there are many antichrists that have now come into the world. Because anything that denies Jesus is anti Christians, we are to contend for the faith by pointing people to that favored Son of God, that anointed one who can truly save them and proclaim that he and he alone is Savior and Lord of all. That's what contending for the faith means. Jesus has already won. He's already defeated death. He's defeated Satan and all the host of hell. He has ascended to the Father and no more does he have to fight. When he comes back, he's going to be victorious. Sending angels to whip Satan. He won't even lift his sword anymore because he's already won. He's conquered. And if you turn to him tonight, he will conquer your sin and acknowledge you to the Father. So turn to him. And Christians, those of you who have already turned to him, continue to turn and be conformed into that glorious image. Let's pray on that note. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much. That when I contend for the faith, Lord, I do it not because I think I'm earning spiritual points in heaven. Lord, but because your spirit is guiding me to do so. It's leading me, Lord, to never deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And to openly, publicly acknowledge him that he is Lord and Savior. He is the anointed one and he deserves the glory. Lord, we're about to eat and I ask you to bless that food to our bodies. But Lord, I pray for souls in here tonight. For a few that I even know, Lord, who've told me. They don't know where they're at yet or they don't believe. Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts tonight. I pray that they are considering their place before you. And they would not leave this room, Lord, before they repent of their sin. They come to know you and trust you as their Lord and Savior. God, touch their hearts tonight. Lord, I pray that maybe they would come and talk to one of us after or they would would reach out. And ask for help. Lord, because you are ready. You said, if you come to me, I will never cast you away. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit would blow upon them tonight. Lord, encourage your church. Bless us as we continue through this week. Thank you for this midweek snack, Lord, of a scripture. And help us to continue to contend for this glorious faith. In your name we pray. Amen.